Hey, my name is Akash Thakar, and this is Sound Business. This is the podcast where we dive into the mindsets and methods of some of the top musicians, sound designers, or audio creators in the world. We're going to interview everyone from plugin makers, performing musicians, video game composers, and everything in between, and learn how they run a successful business and how they're making a killer living in the worlds of music and sound. My hope with this podcast is that you can be exposed to the many myriad different ways there are to make a killer living in the worlds of music and sound, and help you realize that there's no one right way to get to the top. And with that, let's get into the episode. My guest today is Azuria Sky, also known as Sky Lou. Sky is a composer and producer based out of Los Angeles. While Sky has worked on games like Solar Ash and is currently working on Hyperlight Breaker, she's also well known in the world of electronic music production, and she primarily taught herself how to create music in that style in her own way. In this episode, we talk about how she found her voice as a musician, why she decided to sing on her own music even though people told her she didn't have what it takes to be a vocalist, how she taught herself to make music in her own style, and so much more. So without further ado, let's get into the interview with Azuria Sky. Something I was curious about for you was when you started off composing, you know, Pokemon remixes when you were kind of first getting started. What was that first kind of foray like? How did you even pick that up? Because I know you started on piano. So how does one start on piano and then transition into, oh, now I'm doing Pokemon remixes? So the first thing that got my attention was, it was actually Petalburg City from Pokemon Sapphire, but there are certain melodies that really jump out. I would say the same with Pallet Town, which probably everybody knows a lot better, but it's just pretty. And when I hear pretty things, I want to either sing them or like play them. And so... I don't know, palette and like da 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 and you just like play that and then you're like, oh, there are different notes in there and it adds more feeling. And this is to keep in mind, I'm like nine years old. So I'm like, oh it's pretty, but mine doesn't sound the same. And so I start looking at like, oh, there are like bass notes. I can do that with my left hand. And so I figured those out. And it's like, oh, this sounds good. But obviously because, you know, that's a piano and the original one is electronic. Uh, there's enough of a difference there for me to be like, well, I think it would sound even better if I just like added this little flourish or uh, did this variation on this tune. And it kind of just like kept going, like all of those accumulated to the point where like eventually I played it back and then I listened to the original themes like this is not the same song anymore. Mm -hmm. And that was basically how I got into making original songs and henceforth like the the remixes kind of happen that way too. I always start off sticking pretty much to the original song, but almost every cover that I've done at some point, it deviates into like wholly my own interpretation where it basically just isn't even the same song anymore. Yeah, that makes sense. So I know for you though, it wasn't a, uh, a classical upbringing when you're playing piano necessarily. Like maybe you started that way, but I know that a lot of composers maybe start that way and then tend to fall off because they don't like playing etudes all day. Thank you. Day. Finally, <laughs> finally, somebody has said this to me. Yeah, I, contrary to the, the stereotype of like your parents, like forcing you to play piano, I saw the Moscow Chamber Orchestra probably when I was eight and uh, fell asleep during most of the performance. Woke up for the encore. It was Yankee Doodle. I fucking loved it. And 
begged my parents to let me play the piano and the violin. And so I took some lessons, really hated the lessons, because like you said, I didn't want to play etudes, etudes, and I didn't want to play scales, and I didn't want to play this like Baroque stuff that I didn't get at the time. God bless Bach, but I really didn't like him at the time. <laughs> so, yeah, I was just like, you know, I know you're making me play Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. That's a bit of an exaggeration, but like, you know, like some etude that I didn't vibe with. And I was like, why can't I just learn Claire de Lune and Fantasy <laughs> Impromptu by Chopin? And they were like, but you don't understand. And I'm like, but you no, know, you don't understand. And so I ditched my teachers and essentially... It started off like that. Like I just, I had two CDs, one of the Chopin piece and one of the uh, Claire de Lune. And I, I list, I got the sheet music, listened to the CDs and taught myself to play those two. And to this day, those two songs are the only ones I can like consistently remember. So after that, after the basic like reading sheet music and learning how to not destroy your hands while playing, I just sort of like messed around. Honestly, I would describe my entire career and non-career as just like, I'm just goofing around. I don't know what I'm doing. I do know what I'm doing now, but it's just like, I want to do the thing. I don't like being told that I can't do the thing, at least until I've tried and actually failed. And then I'll try to solve it. Yeah, there's something yeah. really important you just said, where you just kind of goofing around as stuff, just as you kind of get better. And I know a lot of composers who are starting are afraid of that they start to think like oh no i have to know what i'm doing i don't know what i'm doing what do you say to them when they're just getting started and they're worried about that i would first give my personal experience which is vast majority of the time i feel like i have no idea what i'm doing i have no plan really i'm just sitting down and playing around with things until i find something that i like and i get how that can be scary but honestly everybody that i've talked to who writes music professionally has told me that it's exploration and it's play. It's really hard to make anything that people can connect with if you sit down with like a really serious attitude. Obviously there's a balance, especially if you're working on commission or for somebody where you have to hold this image of what you're supposed to make, but also not let it consume you to the point where you don't even just like mess around. At the end of the day, I think I would say that if you are stuck because you're overwhelmed by uh, having to get things perfect, making something at all is better than not making anything. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Because you've done a lot of music. You've done production music and you've done music for yourself. You've done collaborations. You've done video games. How do you approach those differently? Do you approach those differently? Or is it the same sort of exploration process each time? I would say that the biggest distinction comes between vocal commissions for EDM music versus literally everything else. With my personal stuff and with uh, game music, I feel fortunate that I've sort of curated the sound that is basically just like me being me. So even when I'm doing video game music, there's not so much of a hard target of sorts. And ultimately, I'm just sort of doing what I feel and then figuring out what works in the setting that I'm composing for, or like there's some slight direction. But with EDM vocals or only like very, very specific commission things, it's a lot more like conscious work on my part because you're working with someone else, usually with vocals specifically, they have an extremely clear 
image of what they want, not only just in terms of music, but also in terms of lyrics. And so that one takes more processing power and it's tiring because I have to uh, stay focused and then like do the words and the music. And I'm not good with words. My translator section of my brain is kind of slow. So <laughs> I'm curious how you got into that then, because you started on piano. I don't think you had formal lessons of voice or did you? Nope. Yeah. So how'd that come about? It's really funny. Um, I've actually had some people make fun of me for saying that I don't sing properly. But now I'm like, ha, 10 years later, yep. people like this weird way that I sing. <laughs> so I got into it. How, how, do I, how do I put this? I've always written poetry. And honestly, it, it started off the same way that music did for me, where it's always been like a personal catharsis or like a record keeping type of thing. And so I always kept journals. And so I'd have journals just like filled with these like, very emo teenager poems and honestly yeah. they still kind of are but don't tell anyone and at some point i was like hey what if i try to sing this because i wrote this while listening to something and so i tried so if you actually go and look at my older work with lyrics in it if you write them down i think i have them listed on my website or i'm starting to but if you look at them they're they're actually written in poetic form and so that's sort of how it happened. And at some point, people started liking my emo poem, word vomit. And so uh, they're like, can you do this for mine? I was like, Shh, I'll try. That's awesome. Can you talk to me about yeah. how those connections even happen in your world? Because is it is it random? Is it someone hearing your music and saying, ah, oh, cool, you're neat. Come on board. Is it meeting them in person? What's that look like? So, you know how I said earlier, like making something is better than making nothing. A lot of, before any of like the professional stuff happened in my life, I just sort of bit the bullet and decided to just release things that I didn't necessarily like that were significant to me. And the thing is, you never know which one is going to cause a connection. And so it was just like my first professional music thing was because I had made this song called Stay with my friend yeah right and it was just like a one-shot thing i had like a, a phone microphone like one of those little plug-in ones that you can do when i had a blackberry and it was just one verse of text it was just a tiny bit of vocal in this song and we were just kids like early 20s or something like that and just put it out didn't really think more about it i was just happy that i was able to do a thing and a couple of years later dion timmer who uh, I'm great friends with now, who's like pretty big in the uh, dubstep scene, just reached out to me one day and was like, hey, I heard this song that isn't a well-known song at all. Like still nobody knows this song. And he said, I really like your vocals. Do you want to sing on a song of mine? I'll pay you for it. And I was like, excuse me? And so he sent me a draft for a track and I wrote something to it. And I didn't hear back from him for like a month. And I thought like he'd just forgotten about it. And I, I didn't know how busy he was. I didn't know anything about like the professional music scene in general. So I waited. And about a month later, I was at some house party in New York. And he just like sent me a message. And I was like, hey, so your vocals didn't really end up fitting on that track that I sent you. I actually ended up writing an entire new track around your vocals. And uh, here's a preview. And that track turned into Alchemy which is still like my top played song on Spotify. And I love that song. And that's sort of just 
how it started. And then other people heard that one. So it really is just about like putting as many feelers up, just doing as many things as you can. You hit on something unbelievably important and something I see all sorts of people struggling with, which is you release something and you didn't even love it. You weren't thinking, oh, this is going to be it for me. I'm oh, people are going to notice this. Can you talk to those people? Because I know so many who are like, oh, I have to wait till I'm the best in the world before I even make a single post or release a single track. If everybody were to wait until everything was perfect to release something, there would be no music in the world. Like just none. Because I swear to God, all of us are like, I still want to change this one thing, but I'm just going to just be like post because I just, I got to let it go. I think music is an exercise in ego death, just like baking. And that's a different story. But anyways, you kind of just have to learn to let go. And the reality is, I think, I think people want to have some type of control over the course of their life. And that's totally natural. Like I do it. Everybody does it. But at a certain point, I think you have to realize that you cannot predict things like that. And so the only thing you can do is just like try. Because if you're trying to like filter things out, you might be cutting off something that you would have experienced, but you'll just never know. Yeah. You really can't tell where things are going to go from even the smallest, tiniest action. When I was living in New York, I was dating somebody who was a visual artist and I ended up going to this drink and draw. That would happen weekly in Brooklyn. And I think this was like before I seriously started animating too much. So I was just like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'll just go because it's a thing to do. And I'm in New York. So I go to this drink and draw. And me being me, I ended up switching from paper to uh, Nintendo DS to as my <laughs> sketch pad because, you know, flip note. So, uh, and so I'm sketching on this, this little thing with a stylus. And eventually somebody comes over to talk to me about it who's called Robbie. And he was like, what is that? What are you doing? And then so we end up talking about that. And we end up chatting online and becoming friends. And I kid you not, like, four years later, I end up finding out that his roommate at the time was Dan Salvato, who made Doki Doki Literature Club. And he had showed Dan my music. And so like four or five years later, when I, I made this like random Twitter post where I was trying to get into game audio, I was like, hey, I'm just like, this is my reel. I'm looking for stuff. And Dan just like messages me and saying, hey, Robbie showed me your music like ages ago. You want to do something? And I was like, you what? And then you just think about that. And it's like, that's just because I went to this drink and draw. And there's no way there's literally no way because he never talked about Dan. Just just do stuff. That's my that's my uh, advice. Totally. Like just showing up is so much literally <laughs> showing up is so much i like to say this to my friends i think your skill as a composer or as a whatever is like 92 percent of whether or not you will make it but there's that eight percent of showing up and talking to people and actually just like putting yourself out there but the weird thing is if you don't do that eight percent it almost doesn't matter how good you are and that's just like the reality hundred percent yeah that's super super true you can be the best composer in the world but if no one knows you exist they're not gonna hire you related to that I, I know a lot of people struggle with like this idea of like validity and being valid in these spaces like oh 
wait, I can't show up to these game audio meetups or these game development meetups or whatever it may be. I'm not a pro or I'm just a student or I don't know what I'm doing. Like there's always that fear of validity. Did you deal with that? Do you still deal with that? How do you deal with that? I still deal with that. Mostly I've learned to try to not think about it. I think taking the first step is always the hardest part, but ends up making things easier because once you do go to a thing like that and actually talk to people, you'll realize that they're just people and everybody's just sort of trying their best. And I know for me, when I was younger and when I first started out in this scene is like, there was this mental barrier feeling, you know, imposter syndrome where you feel like, oh, those are pros. I'm just some guy. And the problem is like when you think of things like that, then you're already separating yourself. And that shows as not even going or acting really fucking weird when you're talking to people, <laughs> you know, like uh, either like being afraid to talk to people or like trying to like flatter people. I just want to like talk to a person. Can you not be weird, please? Like nobody's saying this out loud, but you know. So oftentimes I still don't feel like I know what I'm doing. But I think the primary thing that is important to overcome is just to realize that it's okay to not feel like you know what you're doing. If you have good ideas and you have dedication to doing the thing, I think that's what will resonate the most. Literally, everybody who is a professional is just somebody who has spent a lot of time doing what they want and have finally gained a little bit of confidence in their abilities in their field. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And speaking of that confidence, like it can be a sine wave, right? Doing what we do where it's like, oh, I'm the best. Oh, this sucks. I'm the best. It just goes up and down. <laughs> All the time. It's constant. All the time. So can you tell me about a time where you were starting to think, oh, man, maybe this music thing isn't for me? Did that ever come up? Yeah. Honestly, it comes up so much that I'm trying to isolate a, uh, hmm. a specific time. <laughs> Pretty much any time that I'm trying to do something new which is a lot. If you're actually like studying something, it's constant. So one of the ones that stuck out the most in my brain was actually like a few months before we did that production thing. I was starting to try to learn how to mix and produce seriously for the first time. And I was hitting such a wall and I felt like, man, I just suck at this. Like, what am I even doing? I'm never going to get better. And like, these are legitimate thoughts that come into my head and I'm not trying to be like, you know, defeatist or whatever. But I I have these thoughts where it's like, what's even the point of me trying? Because it sounds terrible. But what I realized later, actually through that experience with you, was I realized that at some point through this entire slog of like, well, everything sounds like a but, that I was actually able to help you in some way. And like, just I had a lot of information and I was able to describe like, well, maybe you should cut the frequency range or like bump this or like pan this. And I was like, huh, I guess I did learn something. And then I could hear the difference that I made in your track. And so I think it's important to remember that, first of all, your ears are also learning. So you might not be able to perceive things that you're, uh, you're improving upon. And also just, you know, you need distance sometimes to see stuff. Literally every time I learn something new, I'm just like, man, I suck. (laughs) I mean, yeah, the whole thing with being a creative is you're being creative. Therefore, it's usually new. It's rare that you're just doing a repeat of the same thing over and over and over and over again. Well, I mean, that'd be nice some days, I'm sure. The most important thing is to, regardless of how I feel, I decide to try again. 
And I just mm. keep doing that. And that's the only thing that I can say works. Just don't give up. Mm. It sounds cliche, but just don't give up. It's a cliche for a reason. <laughs> you know, it, it works. So do, what do you say to like kind of forcing creativity? Like, oh, I'm going to release a track a week or work on a beat a week or something like that. Like, do you recommend that? Do you do that? Do you kind of work when it kind of strikes you? How do you kind of think about that creative process? I think forcing creativity can work to an extent. I would probably phrase it as like enforcing limitations on yourself, actually, because you're limiting time, you're limiting something else. Sometimes it can help to create like little areas that you can work in because, you know, music is so vast that it can be easy to be overwhelmed or like not know where to start or if there's nothing compelling you to do it you may just not depending on what your relationship to creativity is and so i i started doing weekly beats this year and i lasted maybe eight weeks before i just like ran out of fuel but during that time it was it was very helpful just by setting aside some time for me to just like noodle around I ended up making things that I never would have made. And I would say, like, it's good to force yourself up to a point. Don't, like, burn yourself out. But, like, yeah, challenge yourself. And, you and you know, I have no doubt that you have other stuff going on, too. It's not like the weekly beats for your only thing. So no. do you, I assume you gave yourself some grace when you maybe stopped doing that. You're like, well, I have all these other things I'm doing. I'm working on these projects. I'm working on these this music. It's okay. Yeah. Is that kind of what you told yourself? Yeah, basically, I look at stuff like that as a tool. And if the tool doesn't suit my needs at the time, then I'm not going to guilt myself over not doing it anymore. And speaking of those tools, what do you kind of use or think about when it comes to spreading your music around? Do you have any tools or processes that you use to get people hearing your music, new people to come onto your Spotify or whatever it may be? Or is it more organic? I want to say it's more organic. But to be perfectly honest, I think a lot of it is like, unfortunately, just straight up business marketing that ties into the whole like, you could be insanely talented, but if nobody hears your stuff, and it's probably not going to happen naturally, just because of the oversaturation, which like the internet and how many people there are. One thing that I did for a little while was sort of like strategically focus on areas that would get me the biggest audience for the least amount of effort in the beginning. Mm -hmm. I started off doing vocal commissions, so like always trying to work with artists who are just a little bit bigger, who are still like not going to just straight up ignore me, but you know, or like different genres. Work with other people, I think that is one of the biggest things. And work with people who are a little bit outside of your zone. Aside from that, man, social media, <laughs> uh, learning your audience. It's like, it's not fun stuff. It's, right. it is like, it is marketing. Oh, doing covers, like very well-known songs and doing your own genuine take on it. People really like that. And it's something that I enjoy doing, too. Yeah. And speaking of working with people, you're super collaborative. A lot of your tracks are, you know, collabs and you do a really great job of those. What do you think a good collaborator does? Like, what do they kind of contribute? What is the mindset they come into a project with? I think the best collaborations, there's some sort of organic connection. So that either comes out in the beginning, it was me reaching out to people whose music that I really resonated with. And nowadays, it's a lot of it is like people reaching out to me when they really resonate with what I'm doing. And so you have some common ground when you're starting. 
So there's no like, it's not as transactional. You kind of already go in expecting what each of you like and that there's going to be natural crossover. So you're not just like mathing it out in your head, but it's that. And then generally working with somebody who makes something pretty distinctly different than my stuff. Like one of my favorite songs is the one that I did with Omniboy called Cold. It's like this really old New York jazz clubby vibe thing. And I never would have written something like that on my own. But we have a very similar sense of what sounds good. And so that turned into a very strange and really good collab for me. Oh, strange for me, at least. That's awesome. Yeah. And having that mindset seems to be the way to do it because odds are you'll probably be collaborating with those same people either regularly or in the future over and over yeah. again. The people yeah. that I ended up having really good collabs with pretty much always turn into good friends. Yeah. It's the funny way of how this works of sometimes you'll work with someone just once and now you're best friends. You never know. Oh, yeah. You, you really never know. Everybody's relationship to music is different. But I think how personal it is for me sort of encourages others who have a similar relationship to want to work with me. It's just like an instant open connection, sort of. Do you ever step away from the musical creative process? Like maybe you need a break or just for your mental health or things like that. Like, how do you step away when you need to? I do need to step away sometimes. Most of my music draws on some type of emotion that I felt during my life. And so, for example, during the pandemic, that was also the time when I started doing EDM vocals like full time. And at a certain point, I kind of just like ran out of inspiration. And a lot of that is just due to the fact that I was not having any new life experiences. And so when that happens to that extreme or not that extreme, I will take time to go experience things, go to new places, just like do things that I like and or sometimes I'll switch to focusing on uh, visual art or something. But it's like more about intake and generating new things for you than literally trying to like wring some more stuff out of your brain. Because <laughs> it just won't work and you just like wring your brain to a skittle or something. <laughs> yeah, there's a common belief that a producer or a composer, their only job is to sit at home at a piano with a glass of wine staring at the moon all day writing music. Like that's all they're supposed to do and they never, ever, ever, ever do anything else. That reminds me of those memes of like what my mom thinks I yeah. do, what my friends think I do, what society thinks I do, what I actually do. And I'm just like <laughs> sitting here weirdly like watching something. And if you could have like a live stream of me working or if you lived with me, I want to say like when I'm working on a track, like seriously working on a track for work or something, probably like the majority of the time I'm just sitting there listening to someone else's music or like watching a movie or something and you you'd like look in my door and be like what the fuck are you doing like aren't you <laughs> supposed to be working and it just looks like i'm slacking or i'll just like literally be sitting there like staring in the space but i'm actually working because i'm like trying to get into the mood i'm trying to get ideas i would go insane if i were just like sitting there with my jaw open looking at it that's not what work always looks like is what i'm saying you got to water yourself, too. Yeah. What are some of your favorite ways to do that? Is it switching to animation and visual art? Is it something else? Traveling, finding good media, 
that I can watch. I get inspired by a lot of good movies and or books and stuff. Literally watering plants uh, also nice. helps me. Every like four years or so, I will find a game that like is really, really inspiring. By the way, on average, I play a game like every four years. So uh, not really an avid gamer here. I mean, that's honestly fine. You are doing the work. You're doing the thing. That's kind of what matters more than necessarily being up and yeah. up on every single thing that comes out. That's true. It's so just I'm funny, though. Yeah, it is funny. Like, I noticed that the pros in games play less games as they become more pro. <laughs> like, how have you not heard of this? Like, are right. you in games? Like, uh, yeah, but... um. <laughs> totally. Yeah. yeah. After, after a so... lot of the kids to tell me yeah, <laughs> what's <basically>. up. <laughs> I'm curious for you, because I know for everything that we do, there's often either a piece of advice or a person or something like that that we run into and it changes everything. So can you think of off the top of your head a piece of advice you got? It could be about music. It could be about anything else that made you go like, oh, whoa. And it just stuck in your head and still resonates to this day that still influences you. I think there are two. One is a straight up piece of advice. One is an experience that I had with art. The first one, these are not my friend's words. He had like an email thing that he read, but my friend Curtis Solar Bear told me one time is never feel like you have to take advice from somebody who isn't in a position in life that you'd want to be in. Mm -hmm. And that automatically filters out a lot of stuff that comes mm -hmm. your way. And it's like, you can have friends that have absolutely the best intentions for you, but if their trajectory is not the same as yours, their advice may be totally counter to what you're trying to achieve. And I think that's important. The second one is actually the way I felt when I first saw the trailer for Hyperlight Drifter, as funny as that is. <laughs> but I think it, it was the first time that I had a very strong connection to art. And I understood that it was like recognizably an expression of an individual person. And, um, I don't know. I just, it, it made me realize that I don't have to try to be something. I can just take the ideas that I have and like push that to the limit and I can make something good, like at least mm -hmm. conceptually. And speaking of the ideas you have, a lot of people I've noticed who are like starting and up and coming worry about style a lot. You have your own style. I love your style. It's super lush. It's very you. Thank you. But a lot of people, when they're writing music, think, I have no voice, I have no style. They really worry about it. What do you say to them when it comes to developing that taste, that style, that kind of differentiating factor? Because there's so much music out there. I hear this a lot, actually, uh, how people starting out are worried that they're not going to be able to make something unique. Yeah. And I think it's sort of almost like a circular thing where I think if you're asking this question, you're probably pretty self-aware and know yourself and probably have opinions on things. And I think that maybe counterintuitively, if you step away from the idea of like trying to make something unique and just do what comes naturally to you and what you like, the fact that you are your own person is going to make your style something different because nobody is exactly the same. And that's kind of what happened for me. I was never trying to make what I end up making today. Honestly, a lot of it was limitations mm. on my part. And limitations don't always have to be bad. I can't sing in the traditional way. I don't have the same projection 
that it was required. And so that led to me having this really wispy type of sounding vocal, but also like, because it's so quiet, I have to compress it. So it like brings out the airiness even more. I tried to make trance when I was starting out, just could not figure it out. Ended up being like, oh, the Game Boy only has four channels, so I just don't have to do sound design. And so like (laughs) my entire music style gravitated towards the compositional side of songwriting. And so like that is my strongest attribute, I guess can play piano can't really play guitar like i record stuff on guitar but i cannot perform like every song that you hear i've probably done like 75 takes of just like one thing literally i'm not exaggerating so yeah like all of that combined turned into what i make today and uh, none of it was intentional it was just like man i can't sing basically basically it's just that so those things can help us. Yeah, it's wild how like mm-hmm. maybe you not being a traditional opera singer has helped you get a lot more singing gigs than can if you, you imagine yourself. <laughs> <laughs> it yeah. worked out though. Now, second to last question before we start okay. wrapping up is something I ask everyone who comes on. When you were first starting out, and you can define that however you want, whenever you start piano at nine, all the way to today, somewhere in that kind of zone. When you're first starting, how did you define success and how has that changed over time and what does it mean to you now when i was 16 that was when i first realized i actually want to do music as a career and my definition of success then speaking of failures actually um (laughs) was to become a concert violinist specifically Mm. and uh it was really disheartening at the time because i had started too late compared to like all the virtuosos who started like four or five and so i felt like a failure because it didn't go. But boy, am I glad that I didn't go at this point. So when I was 18, I wanted to be a video games composer. And that was my goal. Obviously, it's still one of my goals because I just recently just got here. By the way, it took 13 years. So don't give up. Don't just be like, oh, it's not working. But somewhere along the line, I think the most lasting goal for me has turned into being able to work professionally and creatively, like make things that is true to who I am and be able to exist like as myself, not just musically, but in all other areas of my life and to be able to succeed just like being me, which is ultimately what my music is. And uh, yeah, I think that's the one that really stuck. Last question, where can people find you? Plug anything you want, Instagrams, Discords, anything. All of my things are on my website, which is azuriasky.cc. It's like my website that I'm like populating with a bunch of stuff. But yeah, you can also find me on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, those things, those places. It's it's usually it's azuria underscore sky or just azuria sky, one word, but. Awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time today that you had some really insightful answers. Thanks for chatting with me. I love talking with you. That's the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for listening as always. And considering I work in the world of video game, music, and sound, and so many people are always asking me how they break into that field, I have a newsletter set up for you. So if you want to learn how to make music and sound effects for video games and actually be paid to do it, just go to bit.ly forward slash sound biz pod sound b-i-z pod 
And that newsletter will set you up with two free courses and a bunch of free ebooks and even sound effects that'll get you set up and teach you how to work in the world of video game music and sound. Thanks so much, and I'll see you next time. And if you're looking for more audio-related podcasts to listen to, this podcast is actually a part of the Audio Podcast Alliance, featuring a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. So if you want to check those out, hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org.